the November elections for the House and Senate, they're coming into sharper focus after the most recent primaries, especially in California. For comment, we turn to Harold Meyerson. He's executive editor of the American Prospect and a regular contributor to the LA Times op-ed page. We reached him today in our nation's capital. Harold, welcome back. Good to be here, John. Well, pundits often say the road to retaking the House starts in California. Hillary carried seven California House districts in 2016 that are currently represented by Republicans and therefore targeted by Democrats. But in the primary elections last week, in six of the seven, the total vote for the Republican candidates was greater than the vote for the Democrats. That seems to be bad news. How bad is it? Well, it's only provisionally bad, partly because we only have provisional numbers. Uh, As anyone who follows California elections has uh, uh, learned uh, over the years, it takes about two to two and a half weeks for a full count of all the votes to come in. Uh, And usually the uh, votes announced on election night and the following morning are somewhere between uh, maybe 60 and 65 percent of the total vote. And the, the votes that are, have yet to be counted are the late uh, absentees and provisional ballots. Now, it was pretty clear who Republicans should vote for, and, and to the degree that they voted absentee, as about half the Californians do, there was no ambiguity as to who they should vote for, and so it's likely that those came in early. Democrats were facing the conundrum in these districts of there being a slew of Democratic candidates. And under the rules of the jungle primary, only the top two can advance to uh, the runoff. And it wasn't clear which Democrat would stand the best chance of making it into the runoff. Uh, So I think a disproportionate number of these still uncounted votes are likely to be democratic. And so, uh, A, those numbers should be taken with a grain of salt. B, Republicans always, in California at least, uh, outvote Democrats in primaries, but the percentage of Democrats voting shot up over the analogous primary uh, four years ago in 2014, and the percentage of Republicans voting didn't. So I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't conclude from this that uh, all is lost. Quite quite the contrary. I think of the seven districts you alluded to, the, the way the numbers look coming out of last week's primaries is that there'll be a Democrat in the runoff in each of those seven districts, and that six of those districts are very much in play. Indeed, I think three or four of them, I, I would suspect the Democrats to win. I don't know about the other two. And I would add just one other thing. The the key districts in L.A. and Orange County, which we're following them most closely, the Republican got more than 50% in only one district, and that was Irvine, where Mimi Walters is running for re-election. A whole bunch of Democrats ran. The winner was a law professor from UC Irvine, endorsed by Elizabeth Warren and by Emily's List. Her name is Katie Porter. I guess that's one of the districts where you think the Democrats don't have that good a chance. Oh, well, I think it's the most Republican of the uh, uh, the six districts that are still in play. And so I think it's, it's an uphill climb. But I think two of the uh, four Orange County districts, I would expect the Democrats to win, that being the one where Daryl Issa is a representative and he's not seeking re-election. 
and the one where the uh, ever-strange Dana Rohrabacher uh, is the incumbent by every account, including those in his own party, Putin's pal. And uh, I, <laughs> yes. I, think, I think he's in, uh, in real trouble. So I, I, I think in those two districts, if I had to bet, I'd bet on the Democrats. The Democrats need to pick up, I think right now it's 23 seats to take control of the House. If they win three in California or possibly four, where can they get the other 20? Well, Pennsylvania has been redistricted, and there's a chance that the Democrats, as a sure thing, the Democrats already are going to pick up two in Pennsylvania because there's really no Republican opponent going into November. But uh, in uh, three more districts, I think, the Democrats could be favored. So there, there's a, a possible five in Pennsylvania. There's a what I would call a likely three in uh, in New Jersey. There's a likely three in New York. Uh, there are two districts in Illinois, two in Wisconsin, uh, and two in Ohio that are all in play, and then scattered districts around the rest of the country. So I think you know I think this is a real possibility. You mentioned Ohio. We had some terrible news from the Supreme Court about Ohio. Would you like to tell us about that? I would like to be able not to, but I, I, I will. <laughs> okay. No, the court on a classic five to four, and I don't even want to say conservative liberal, uh, Republican Democratic or Republican uh, versus American right split, uh, voted to uh, allow Ohio's practice of dropping voters from voter lists if they miss an election. And uh, what this does is it, it penalizes the party that has the greater number of less than constant voters, uh, voters who may skip a local election, voters who may skip an election for a water district or board of education. And that uh, clearly uh, is more damaging to the Democrats than it is to Republicans. I mean, there are lots of Democrats who turn out for presidential elections uh, and gubernatorial elections and lots of Democrats who just turn out for presidential elections, and they may find themselves stricken from the rolls. So the Democrats are going to have to do a heck of a job of going through the neighborhoods and re-registering voters. Uh, and it's clearly a decision, like a number of the decisions the Supreme Court has made, that uh, is it absolutely advantages Republicans. And this is even before we've heard, which we'll hear something by the end of the month, of the court's expected ruling on Janus versus AFSCME, which is really an attempt to take uh, perhaps the Democrats' most major on-the-ground troops, those of the public sector unions, uh, off the playing field by uh, reducing their resources. So the court is playing a very, I won't say conservative, Republican role, and I expect it will continue for the rest of this month, and I expect that will have some effect on this year's elections. But on the other hand, Democrats and those public sector unions have been expecting this, and they have been uh, preparing for the worst, and the court, this is a court that tends to produce the worst. We've been talking about the House of Representatives. Of course, that's where the impeachment process starts. But in some ways, the Senate is more important this time around because if the Democrats retook control of the Senate, they would have a chance to block Trump from putting another justice on the Supreme Court if one of the incumbents resigns. To gain control of the Senate, the Democrats have to defend, I think it's 10 seats in states that Trump won 
and win two more. Is that even possible? Yes, it is possible. I think there are three seats in which the Democrats are currently even or favored among the seats they would have to pick up. One in Tennessee, one in Arizona, and one in Nevada. I'm upbeat about actually all three. I think Tennessee and Nevada are looking more of a sure bet than uh, Arizona at the moment, but I think all, all three are doable. The question is, can the Democrats reelect those incumbent senators who are in states that Trump carried? And some of them are facing really uh, tough challenges. Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Claire McCaskill in Missouri. So even if the Democrats win those three, they, they can lose no more than one to gain control of the Senate. And in particular with McCaskill and Manchin and possibly also Joe Donnelly in Indiana, that may prove to be tough. It, it's not impossible. And, you know, Donald Trump has the capacity to turn things over three or four times between now and November. But that, 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 that's going to be tough. Well, the big debate in the Democratic Party is what kind of candidates are more likely to win and where. Do we want middle-of-the-road establishment Democrats to run in districts that are currently red in the hope of winning some moderate Republicans who may be turned off or perhaps even horrified by Donald Trump? Or do we want Bernie-ish challengers to recruit new voters uh, with an appeal based on a infrastructure jobs program, Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, free college tuition. That would mean a candidate who is not just not Trump, but has a far-reaching alternative program. I think you can guess where uh, we stand on this. What do you right, think? But, you know, but there are some candidates who really don't neatly fall uh, into one category and not the other. If you look at the very notable victory of Connor Lamb in the southwest Pennsylvania district that he carried in a special election last month, you'll find a guy who was uh, pretty conservative on social issues, but on economic issues, he was really out there with a, with a left program, uh, wanting to repeal the tax cut, expand health care. So in a lot of cases, uh, you'll find candidates, uh, I think particularly running, not maybe in the most upscale districts, uh, but in working class districts, who are not where you and I are, but are uh, pretty left on economics. So far, one of the things I've noticed is that the divisions in the party this year, uh, as they play out in the elections, in the primary elections, aren't really quite as divisive as uh, a lot of people thought they would be and as some people wanted them to be. I, I, I haven't found Bernie people saying they're not going to vote in November or Hillary people saying they're not going to vote in November if someone who represents the other wing of the party wins. I don't know really anyone who complained about the victory of Doug Jones in Alabama defeating Roy Moore, even though Doug Jones representing Alabama as he does is clearly on the right fringe of the Democratic Party. Yeah. But uh, I, I think it's pretty clear from, from my perspective that uh, progressive policies uh, on economics really should be playing everywhere. Uh, and, and, you know, the best example of that is the public support given the striking teachers in one red state in some of the most conservative states in America, Oklahoma, West Virginia, one red state after another, you still had uh, conservative parents saying, okay, you know, we're willing to pay higher taxes if, if that means our kids get a better education. 
and and we saw this even without a teacher strike in Kansas a year ago, where moderate Republicans primaried and threw out the right wing Republicans who refused to restore high tax the higher tax rates on the wealthy so that schools uh, you know could actually run for the uh, duration of the entire school year. So I think I, I think there's a lot of running room uh, for progressive economics. And you know, uh, most of the Democrats running are pretty are pretty progressive on on social issues as well. Look, it's also the case that you know the party as a whole has clearly moved to the left, and you'll find so many candidates running in support of, say, single payer health care, yeah. which would have been unthinkable two years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was a niche concern two years ago, not anymore. When we get to November, if the economy is still doing pretty well the way it is now, is that something that Trump is going to be able to run on and defeat Democrats on? Well, uh, Stan Greenberg, the veteran Democratic pollster, has done some polling for a special issue we have coming out of the American Prospect on uh, the Republican tax cut and arguments against the tax cut and so on. One of the things Stan found is that, on the whole, voters do think the economy is getting better at a macro level, but their own economic well-being is not getting better. They understand that, you know, unemployment has fallen and that jobs are being created, but for the last seven, eight years, we've been in a cycle of, of monthly headlines that say unemployment falls, uh, unemployment falls, wages stay the same. You know, that's what Americans are experiencing at the same time that health care costs continue to rise. So I think there's a real limit on how much the macro economy can help ordinary Americans. Uh, there are so many obstacles, including you can't change jobs because of non-compete clauses and many other things. Uh, there are so many obstacles to uh, trickle-down working that Republicans really, I don't think, will get the full benefit that has normally been the case when the incumbent party uh, benefits from low unemployment rates. Harold Meyerson of the American Prospect. Harold, always great to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, great to be here, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Thank you.